Open your Bibles this morning, please, to the book of Acts, Acts chapter number 26. We begin our scripture reading today in verse number 12, Acts 26 and verse number 12. For those of you that might not know, this is Paul's defense before Agrippa, and um, he takes what would ordinarily be thought of as a defense and turns it into a declaration, a testimony. Verse number 12, whereupon is I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me, saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the bricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. Here we find a good man in a bad place. Given a choice, I feel certain that there were other places that Paul would rather be. And whenever I think about Paul and the great man that he was, it reminds me that if godliness exempted us from suffering, it surely would have done so for Paul. I mean, if anyone ever deserved to pass, you would think it would be him, but it didn't. In fact, he was told from the beginning over in the book of Acts chapter number 9 where we see Paul being instructed of the Lord and he says, I must show him what great things he must suffer for my name's sake. You see, the Lord never has us to follow him under false pretenses. He's upfront, honest, and open with us in regards to what we can expect. We get ourselves in trouble when we have those unrealistic expectations you know that God ought to be better to us, that we ought to be exempt from all of these trials because of our righteousness. But here we see God telling him it's going to be a rough road. It's going to, there are going to be some tough times, Paul. And his afflictions were all a part of his assignment that God had appointed him to. So here we see this great man in this tough spot and this is his defense before Agrippa. And rather than protest the charges, you know, I try to put myself in his sandals and think about what I might have done. You know, I, you know, in today's terms, we might have, we might have thought, you know, I need to get the best lawyer in the land. I've got to get out of this by hook or crook some way. You know, this just isn't fair. 
Or at least, you know, we would have stood up and ranted and railed about how unfair it is that these charges be trumped up against us. But there's no protest at all. In Paul's mind, this is an occasion for him to witness. In other words, his problem gave him a platform. A platform in which he could give his tremendous testimony of salvation. So this is the record of his radical conversion. By the way, if I, if I'm not mistaken, this is the longest speech that he gives in the book of Acts. But when I look at his story, you know, I'm tempted to just devote all my time to the, to the mess that he's in and talk about it, the unfairness of it and the purpose of it and all the different things regarding this because this was all just a part of a plan and God had already told him, Paul, you're going to bear witness of me in Rome. Well, you'll remember when the charges were brought against Paul, he protested in the sense that he declared that he was legally a Roman citizen. So now they've got to send him to Rome. They're going to pay the fare to get him over there, in fact. And uh, he doesn't have to make any reservations or anything. He's going like it or not. And God got him to Rome just exactly like he said that he wouldn't. So we could talk a lot about that. But I'm tempted to spend my time talking about the messenger himself. What a great man he was. What a, you know, what a great minister of the gospel Paul was. And there's so much that we could say about him. I'm tempted also to look at the message as a whole, the entire context here, and to just try to unravel that in order to see what we could learn from it. But instead of that, I want to focus this morning on the mission the mission to which he speaks here in verse number 18. I want you to read that with me again or follow along. He says his mission, and this is the Lord, of course, sending him, was to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. In other words, to get to the very bottom line of this, he's trying to show us the drastic changes that are needed by the natural man. And remember, now Paul is relating this to Agrippa, and he's relating what Jesus said to him. So these are the exact words of the Lord Jesus Christ as he was speaking to Paul. And because of that, we certainly need to listen. Amen. Because it's not Brother Stone saying this. It's not even Paul saying this. It's the Lord Himself. This was His message to the Apostle Paul. And now Paul is relating that to King Agrippa. What the sinner needs is what is revealed to us here in this verse. Notice, first of all, the sinner's blindness. It says the mission was to go and to open their eyes. You know, so many times we wonder, why is it so difficult to reach unsaved people? You know, we think in our mind and we try to reason it out, you know, well, it's you know because people are sinful and because they need forgiveness and need salvation and surely any reasonable person would want to go to heaven instead of hell. And so we reason and, of course, we're doing it from the standpoint of having been converted. And we look at it like, why would anyone say no to Christ? 
And so we wonder, why is it so difficult to get this message across to unsaved people? But really, it's no mystery at all because the Bible tells us they're blind. And in fact, the Bible tells us the God of this world, which is Satan, has blinded their minds to the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. The natural man is blind. They may have several college degrees. They might be brilliant, have a high IQ and all of those things, a well-read person. But spiritually, they are blind. They're blind to their sinfulness, for one thing. They're blind to the state that they are in. They're blind to the Scriptures. They're blind to the Savior. Several years ago, I heard a lot of sermons in in fact, there were entire seminaries entitled Soul Winning Made Easy. And let me tell you, soul winning has never been easy. It's never been easy. It's always been difficult. We talk about these days that we live in and the difficulties of it, and certainly there's something to be said about that. We live in perilous times, as the Apostle Paul said. But don't misunderstand we look around and say, yeah, but you just can't reach people today. You, you know, it, it, there's just no need in getting out here and knocking on doors, no need of witnessing to people, no need of handing out tracts and things like that because people are just closed to the gospel. Let me tell you, it's always been tough. They were pretty tough about the truth when it came to crucifying Christ, don't you think? It's always been tough. It's not easy. It's not easy because it's something that can't be done without the Holy Spirit drawing them, bringing them, enlightening their minds. It's a work made possible only by the Spirit of God. Now, we're instruments that God uses, but we cannot do it on our own, regardless of how much you care, regardless of how much you try to reason with somebody that you love about their desperate need of salvation, it falls, it falls on deaf ears until God begins to work in their heart. He works through us, but without Him, we could do nothing. The natural mind, man, is blind, and notice the Lord wants to open their eyes. But not only is the natural person blind, notice they're belligerent. He said, and to turn them from darkness to light. Now, I use that word belligerent intentionally. Not only is it a part of an alliteration, but more importantly is it, it fits what the Bible says. You remember John three nineteen says, and this is the condemnation. That light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. You see, darkness is a symbol of evil, and that's what we see everywhere. The natural man is not just blind, he is hostile toward God. It's one thing, you know, to be blind and just hoping somebody will take you by the hand and lead you in the right direction, but it's another thing when you have an attitude of hostility. You don't want God's help. You, you resist what God says. You resent His will. You reject His Word. And that's why the Bible defines the unsaved person in the book of Ephesians as being the enemies of God. Children of disobedience. They're belligerent toward God. They are rebels against God. And their great need is reconciliation with God. They need to be turned from the darkness to the light. And let me tell you, there's nothing in this world that can do that. There's absolutely no hope for any unsaved person in this world. 
Their only hope is in the Lord. And it's out of the depths of God's great love that God has provided the light for those that are in darkness. In fact, God is the light for those that are in darkness. And He sends us, those of us who have trusted Him, He sends us into the world to what? To bear witness of that light. That, that is our mission, to bear witness of that light. Not to be a light, not to become a somebody that we might win the attention of the world and their applause, but rather to bear witness of that light. The world needs that light because it's in spiritual darkness. We think about all of the accomplishments of man in this high-tech society that we live in today, and we marvel. Every time Bev and I get in our new car, and just about every time I'll mention, who would have ever dreamed that we'd have a car that would do this and do that? I, I, I mean, you can open doors and turn on the car. You don't need a key. You don't need to touch things or anything. It's... It's just amazing. Whoever thought we'd live in a day like this? And yet, with all, as Daniel said, knowledge shall increase. It certainly has. But listen, man is just as blind today as he's ever been when it comes to spiritual things. Man is blind and he needs light. Man is belligerent toward God and he needs that that light that only God can provide. Now, all of that would be bad, right? Imagine being blind and belligerent toward the very one that's trying to help you. I mean, that puts you in a bad way. But there's something else that's mentioned here. And notice the man's bondage, the sinner's bondage. He says, and from the power of Satan unto God. One thing to be blind Another thing to be belligerent and resist the one that's trying to help you, but it's another thing to be all three of these in bondage. From the first time many years ago that it really hit me when Paul says there in 2 Timothy 2.26, speaking of those that are unsaved, they're taken captive by the devil at his will. Well, that explains so much for me and it hit me like a ton of bricks because so many times... You know, we wonder why do people do those things that are so self-destructive? And we've got it in our mind that, you know, the sinner can stop sinning anytime he wants to. So consequently, we lecture them. We try to educate them out of drugs. We try to rehabilitate them and we go through all of these different, uh, different workshops and processes and everything else and you know, with the hopes that some way we can get them turned around. But when we leave Christ out of the equation, it all ends in failure. The natural man is enslaved. He's enslaved by a a stronger enemy than he. I've often talked about the fact that before I was saved, I can remember several times, the next morning, the next morning, Oh, those were terrible times. The next morning, standing and looking in the mirror and wondering to myself, why did I do that? Why do I live this way? And resolving in my heart and making promises to my wife 
that I'm going to quit drinking. I'm going to do better. I'm going to change the way that I'm living. And look, I was sincere. I meant it with all of my heart. I wasn't intentionally lying about it, but there was a there was a power that had enslaved me. And I want you to understand, look, that's true of every unsaved person. You're here today and maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, look, i got something to tell you, preacher. You know, I'm not a Christian, but I'm nobody's slave. I'm my own free man. I do as I please. Boy, that's the joke of the year. You see, here's the problem. Satan doesn't care whether you go to hell from a church pew or a bar stool. You see, your self-righteous attitude can be just as bad or even worse than the liquor bottle or the dope or the pornography or whatever it might be for somebody else. But make no mistake about it. You're not free today unless you've been set free by the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the sinner's great need. He's blind. He needs to see. He's belligerent toward God and he needs the light that only God can bring. And how sad it is to think about him being in that bondage every single day, enslaved by Satan. I'm so glad the story doesn't end there. Remember, we're talking about what the sinner needs. And notice the next statement here in our text. It says that they may receive forgiveness of sins. That tells me he needs blessings. And that this really gets to the very root of the and the heart of the subject here because the sinner is in his wretched condition. Why? Well, because he sinned. We have violated God's righteous standard. We've broken His laws. We have offended His holiness. We've brought a curse down upon our own head. We are what we are by our own doing. You know, you, you can't blame mom. You can't blame dad. You can't blame anybody else. You got to take the blame for yourself. It is your sin. And our great need is what? Forgiveness. And only Christ can provide the forgiveness that you need. What a wonderful thing forgiveness is. You know, whenever when I trusted the Lord as my Savior, I could easily understand why my wife might not forgive me. I could understand that. Believe me, if you had lived with me before I was saved, you could understand it also. I could understand that. I could understand why other people might have had a difficult time in forgiving me because I didn't care anything about anybody but me. I really didn't care about me, I guess. But whenever when I thought about the fact that God's willing to forgive me, I mean, I don't, I don't even understand that. I can't wrap my mind around that, that God says He is willing to forgive me. Of all of my sins. And boy, when I walked out of the Community Baptist Church that morning, having been saved, it seemed like every little bird was singing Amazing Grace and a thousand pounds had been lifted off of my shoulders. I had something that I'd never in my life experienced before. I've never experienced anything like it since then. That moment of trusting Christ as your Savior and knowing 
that all of your sins, past, present, future, all of those sins are now under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. They're buried in the deepest sea, separated as far as the east is from the west. God said, I'll put them behind my back. I'll remember them no more. Others might remember. Others might haunt you. Others might ridicule you. But God has forgiven you if you trust His Son. There are blessings to be received for every sinner. Not, Not just some select few, but for every person that will receive Christ is their Savior. And then we read on and we see here the one thing that makes it all possible, and that's the matter of belief. It says, And inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Remember, this is the Lord speaking. Sanctified by faith that is in me. And I want you to notice that last part First, because it's the most important. Jesus said, by faith that is in me. And the most important of, of, of that, the most important word there is that little word, me. I colored it in yellow and underlined it in black. That little word, me. Notice the Lord doesn't say here that we're to have faith in faith. In other words, He is to be the object of our faith. Jesus, we see Him here as both the teacher and the subject. And He's telling us all of this is possible for the sinner to have his deepest needs met by having faith in Him. Because He's the speaker, you know that it's true. You know, after the Apostle Paul had said, look, I've been thinking through this and using all of my great knowledge and all of my many experiences, and I've come to the conclusion, and this is what I sincerely believe, that you ought to do such and such. You know, I would have some room for doubt about that, wouldn't you? I mean, who knows? Paul's just a man. But this is Christ speaking, the one who cannot lie. And he doesn't say, just have faith in faith. Because faith in faith is useless. Somebody says, well, you know, I keep a positive attitude all the time and I'm just convinced everything's going to turn out all right. Yeah, I read, you know, Norman Vincent Peale's book on the power of positive thinking. If I just keep a positive attitude, that little, you know, the little train that could, Finally, I'll get up the hill and finally everything's going to work itself out. Just as long as I believe. But faith in faith isn't any better than anything else. It's faith in Him. He's the one that is the way, the truth, and the life. It's, look, it's not, now don't misunderstand this, it's not a doctrine. Doctrine's important, the correct doctrine. But it's not a matter of doctrine. It's not a matter of creed. It's Jesus. It's through trusting Him that we're sanctified. Through trusting Him that we have an inheritance. Thank God for that. Because there's nothing in this sinful world that's going to be of any lasting value to you. One of these days, all of the little trinkets that we hold so dear in this life, oh, they're not trinkets now. You know, they're cherished keepsakes that we hand down from generation to generation. They're things that we have worked for. They're things that mean so much to us. 
But in the light of the big picture, in that final day, when you take your last breath, all of those things are going to be left behind. Nothing in this world worth living for. It's only through the Lord Jesus Christ that we have an inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled, an inheritance laid up in heaven for us. Amen. One that we never have to worry about that we're going to lose. That's why Jesus said, I give unto them eternal life, and, and they shall never, ever perish. If you have it today and you lose it tomorrow, it wasn't eternal yesterday. Amen. I'm glad we have eternal life. I'm just as saved as I ever will be. If you're a child of God, you're just as saved as you ever will be. You'll never be more saved than you are now. Now, someday you'll be in heaven. You'll be better off in that sense. You'll be free from the rheumatism and arthritis and the cancer and the heart disease and all of those things. You'll be in heaven. That's going to be wonderful. You'll be with all your loved ones that have gone on before that knew the Lord. That's going to be wonderful. But you're as much a child of God right here as you will be there if you've been born again. That's why he says it's by faith that is in me. You see, there can't be a tree unless there's a root. There can't be a stream unless there's a fountain. There can't be hope unless there is faith. And there's no salvation without a Savior. And that Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that provides the pardon for our sin and peace for our troubled soul, power for our weakness, purity for those that are defiled, the provisions of those that are in need, and pleasure for the saints of God. He is the one that provides everything that we need. Amen? Now think about it. Here is Paul relating to Agrippa. Things that Agrippa does not know. He's giving his testimony before this man. Giving him an information related to what Christ had done in his life. And when you stop and think about it, if you're here today and you're a child of God, you are saved because of what? Because somebody, somewhere, sometime told you about Jesus. Amen? That, that information didn't come by osmosis. I mean, it's not something... Maybe you went to sleep one night and had a dream and all of a sudden you just, you just knew all of this stuff about Christ. It didn't happen that way. Somebody cared enough to tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ and now you need to make Him known to others. You see, because every Christian has a mandate from heaven to do exactly what Paul did. Sinners don't know what they need. You know, you walk up to someone on the street that's never made a profession of faith and ask them, what is your really greatest, deepest need in life? And there's no telling them what you're going to come up with. They might say, look, I'm desperately ill. The doctor has given up all hope for me. I need healing. Somebody else might say, I'm bankrupt. I can't feed my kids. I can't pay my bills. I'm in desperate need of financial aid. So you'll get all kinds of different responses. But the great need for every sinner is to know the Lord Jesus Christ is their Savior. And they don't know that unless somebody cares enough to let them know. 
to let them know that Christ is the one that can meet their deepest needs. And we, we need to tell them. Because, number one, He saved us. But not only that, He summonsed us. He says, as the Father has sent me into the world, even so send I you. I'm sending you into the world to bear witness of the light. And that day there on the road to Damascus, God stopped Paul dead in his tracks. You say, well, I'm waiting for God to do that to me. Now remember, at that time, they didn't have a completed Bible like we do today. At that time, God was working in different ways with people. At that time, God was giving people certain spiritual gifts that those that come in from different countries and what have you that had never heard the Gospel, and God gave them what is known as the, you know, the gift of tongues to speak in other languages. We don't have that today, but what we have is the You know, you think about it. If all of a sudden, here I am walking down the street, and let's suppose there's all of a sudden there's this clap of thunder and this brilliant big ball of fire. just It is so bright that it's blinded me, and I'm laying there on the ground, and I start to hear voices. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I've got to tell you, I really got my doubts that I would take that as being the Lord speaking to me. I mean, I wouldn't have enough spiritual knowledge to know that if it was Him speaking to me. Just hearing voices. Those that were onlookers looking at me laying there on the ground in that condition and Moaning to myself, they, you know, might think I'm in need of aid and call an ambulance or, you know, call the guys out there with the little white suits to take me away or something. I don't know. But whenever I heard from the Word of God that God commendeth His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, for those, for, for us, those who are ungodly, and when I heard that, it was more than a clap of thunder, more than a flash of lightning. Let me tell you, that's the thing that awakened me. Not only as to my need, but awakened me as to the supply that God had made. And, and I, I want the world to know not only what He's done for me, but what He can do for each and every person here this morning. Whoever you are. And if you're a Christian, please understand that your testimony is so, so very important. Most of you know that Bev and I were raised, I was born in Springfield, Missouri and raised there. And, and uh, you know, whenever you're from a hometown, why you, you always think about the, the popular people that came out of your hometown and what have you for some weird reason. But uh, we had a fellow of the name of Payne Sturt that came from Springfield. 
And Payne Stewart, we got some golfers here. I don't need to introduce you to him because he won the U.S. Open. He was a great golfer. And uh, I didn't know Payne Stewart, but I knew something of his dad, as everybody in town did, because his dad had been a, a great golfer. He, in fact, he was a club pro out there, and it just so happened the Bill, his dad was my boss's golfing partner. And so, you know, at least I, you know, I could see him. I wasn't good friends with him or anything, but I certainly knew who he was. But I'm saying all of that for a reason, because it just, you know, naturally, when I would see something in the paper about Payne Stewart playing in the tournament and winning the tournament and what have you, I, you know, that's good for him, you know. Got a Springfield boy out there winning the, the big tournaments and what have you. But when his jet crashed in October of 1999, that was a shock to hear of his death. That jet was traveling over 600 miles per hour, they say. They calculated whenever it hit the ground. And consequently, there were no bodies that could be retrieved from the wreckage. The good news is that Payne Stewart had recently trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior. And in fact, he was wearing that WWJD bracelet that, that he wore when he won the U.S. Open. He was wearing that. And the only thing his wife Tracy was able to retrieve was his wedding ring, a gold chain that he had worn since the first night that they met, and this bracelet and a little devotional book that in some way survived that crash. And when she examined the book, she discovered there was a page turned down for that very day indicating that he had read that. And the, the Scripture was Acts twenty six eighteen. And after the little Scripture reading devotional, it had this suggested prayer. And Payne Stewart underlined this in that book. Here it is. Grant that I may be used to open the eyes of others and turn them from darkness to light so that, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in Jesus. And you're thinking, oh my, what a wonderful thing that he had been saved. What a wonderful thing that he had such a burning desire to bring others to Christ. But what a terrible thing that a young man like that, with that kind of a heartfelt desire to witness to others, that his life is suddenly snuffed out. It just doesn't seem fair. But here's the good news. His wife said later that she had received, since his death, she had received over 1,000 notes and letters and cards from people that had written to her saying that as a result of Payne Sturt's testimony, that they had trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. While God works in mysterious ways, His wonders to perform. And God can take a tragedy like that and turn it into something that is glorious. And here is Paul, a prisoner. Here is Paul, 
A good man in a bad place. How could anything good come out of that? Here's what his wife Tracy wrote then. She said it was as if God were saying, even in the midst of tragedy, I will have a witness. I will have a witness. He always has. He always will. For some of you, it was your Sunday school teacher this morning. For some of you, it was that time that mom took you on her knee and with a Bible in the other hand began to read to you, showing you the way of salvation. And I stand here this morning and I am God's witness to you. What I've said is the truth. It's come straight out of the Word of God. The question is, what will you do with it? What do you do with it? You could be saved. You could be. You say, yeah, but you don't know what I've done. It doesn't make any difference what you've done. You could be saved. In fact, not only could you be saved, you should be saved. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You should be saved right here this morning. And let me tell you, you will be saved if you will put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be. The only question is, what will you do? Agrippa said to Paul, Almost persuadest thou me to be a Christian. I'm almost persuaded, but not altogether. If you're here this morning, I hope and I pray to God that you'll be altogether persuaded that this is your time, this is your day, right here, right now, that you're not going to leave without knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And if you're here today and you're a child of God, please understand that you are just as obligated to tell others about Christ as somebody was obligated to tell you about Christ. How dare we be indifferent to their deepest needs? The needs that only Christ can meet. Needs that they don't know anything about. But you can help. By being that light, that witness to them. And we ought to commit ourselves to that mission this morning. There's no doubt about what God would have us to do. The only question is, will we do it? Let's stand together. I said that you could be saved, you should be saved. Let me tell you, you could be right here and right now this morning. Right where you're at. Look, I'm not asking you to join the church. I'm not asking you to be baptized. Really, if you want to get technical, I'm not even asking you to walk down the aisle. I'm not asking you to kneel down here and to say a prayer. I'm not asking you to do that. I'm asking you to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And that's something you can do, something you should do. And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you, right here this morning, would you trust Him right where you're at? 
I don't know what you might say in your heart. Might be something to the effect that you know that you're lost, you believe Christ is the Son of God and that He died for you and that you're trusting Him right now. But if you'll put your faith in Him, there's no doubt about what God will do. He promised He would save you. And then I would like for you to come and to just share with us that you've trusted Christ as your Savior. Father, how we thank you for the wonderful opportunity that you give us. The opportunity to hear and to know about the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the greatness of your love that made salvation possible. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your divine providence that brought us here to this place at this time. And beyond a shadow of it out, there's somebody, somebody this morning that your Spirit is speaking to and drawing them. And I just pray, Lord, that, that they will yield this morning, that they might, through Christ, break free from the bondage of Satan, that their eyes will be open and they will be able to, to see all of, the, all of the blessings provided as a result of your great forgiveness. I pray, Lord, that You'll break down every barrier. Remove every excuse. And draw them to Yourself just now. In Jesus' name, we beg these things. Amen. While we stand as we sing this morning,